One of the things we always forget, and I'll just editorialize over what Marianne was saying about her mother helping the kids next door. Uh, one of the things that we always forget and we always have to be cognizant of is that 80% of the people who come to faith in Christ do it before the age 18. And by the time you reach age 30, the percentage of people who come to Christ is really very small. After age 50 or 60, it's extremely small. So if a church wants to maximize their impact for the kingdom, uh, the best place to do it is to focus on the young kids. And, and the mission of us older saints is to help facilitate them coming to faith in Christ. So I just say that as, uh, as just an editorial to what Marianne was saying. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, or start our service, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come together this uh, January 8th, second Sunday in January, and uh, as I continue this theme that you are in control, and it is that your love for us that drove the events that took place in the life of Christ. Uh, he was not responding to the events. He was not, you were not making up a plan after the fall. You were not trying to figure out what to do next to counteract the, the plan of Satan. You knew from the beginning what was going to take place. And your plan is perfect. And even though sometimes it looks as though Satan is winning, he is defeated, and that we can always trust on you. That doesn't mean we have an easy life. It doesn't mean everything will go perfectly. It doesn't mean we won't have challenges. But what it does mean is that we are safe and secure in your arms. So no matter what we face, uh, we can face it because you sent your son and everything he did was di done because he, lo you, he loved us and you loved us. So we rest on that and we give you praise and honor and glory this morning, Heavenly Father, for that. In Christ's name, amen. This is, um, uh, I'll, I'll say this, Baptists typically don't follow a liturgical calendar. They, um, you know, they tend to just, uh, you know, take particular scriptures and come up with sermons. But I think there is some significance in following it at certain times of the year. Now, this Sunday is the first Sunday in what we call Epiphany. Uh, epiphany is just a word that means revealing or revelation. And it refers to the revealing or revelation of Christ to the Gentiles. It starts, Epiphany starts 12 days after Christmas, and it, it is supposed to coincide with the time when the Magi, who came from a foreign land to worship the baby Christ... And it represents the revealing of Christ to the Gentiles. So the season of Epiphany that runs up until Lent is a snapshot of various parts of Jesus' ministry where he is revealing himself to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And as we begin to start this uh, season of Epiphany, the first scripture is going to be from Matthew chapter 3, and it talks about the baptism of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, which is going to be the text for today, uh, it gives us the fullest description of the baptism of Jesus that's given. And, and Matthew will guide us in answering this question. And this is an important question that I want us to focus on today. 
Why did Jesus insist on being baptized by John? And, and Matthew is going to make, point, uh, make clear two, two things that are relevant to why Jesus insisted on being baptized that are important to us. So the, the pretext uh, for this whole sermon today is this. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but yet we, we are taught that Jesus was perfect and sinless. So why did Jesus need to be baptized with a baptism of repentance if he was sinless and had no sin? That's the question we're going to answer today. And think about that as we begin reading through uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning verse 1. And it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, this is John speaking, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the religious leaders of the Jews, coming to be baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and Jesus was baptized immediately when he came up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. May God bless the, the reading of His Word. So the question I ask you is, is, is why was it necessary for Jesus to be baptized if Jesus was sinless and he, he had nothing to repent of. The short answer of that question is what is it was what John uh, gives us in this passage of Scripture, and that is the repentance brought unto people being a people of God for the coming of uh, the coming Messiah. John's baptism of repentance brought into being a people of God for the Messiah. And let me explain that first. In verse six, it says that the people were coming to be baptized, confessing 
confessing their sins. And he quotes, in, quotes John in Matthew 3.11 where he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So the first reason that we, that we are baptized and that Jesus was baptized is so Matthew was saying, making clear, clear that John's baptism was to provide an occasion for the Jews and the Jewish people to confess their sins and to get right with God. That is the first thing because repentance paves the way for faith. You will never come to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross if you do not first acknowledge that you are a sinner and you are in need of salvation. If you do not believe that you need to repent, you will never believe in Christ as your, as your Savior, will you? We all have sinned. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There has not been a person alive except for Jesus Christ who has not sinned. And repentance is the doorway you must go through to get to faith to be able to accept Christ as your Savior. But the second thing that this, this baptism was doing, first was it was preparing the people and having them confess and remember that they are sinners and that there is one coming who can forgive their sins. But secondly, John makes clear that the baptism of repentance is bringing together a people of God for the coming Messiah and the people that he is bringing together it's not predicated upon your Jewish heritage. The repentance is is based upon uh, the the preparedness is based upon your repentance, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So the first act of Jesus in his ministry when he comes to be baptized, the baptism that John is giving is preparing the way for the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to be the Messiah not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. And what he is saying is... Just because you're a Jew, you're not automatically saved. Just because you're a Jew, he's not exclusively your Messiah. Just because you are a Jew, you don't have a ticket to heaven. He says in Matthew 3, 9, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now what does that mean? There is no salvation security in being a, child, a Jewish child child of God. Yes, God worked through the Jewish heritage to bring about a Messiah, but even all through the Old Testament, it is being prophesied that he will be, Isaiah says, he will be a light to the Gentiles. God is free in choosing who his people will be, and he could make saints out of rocks if he wanted to. So now... Through this baptism of repentance, John is preparing the way where not only Jews but Gentiles can be prepared and ready for the fact that there's going to be a Savior. So we already see the shift that's taking place where God is going to focus on everybody in the world. We are Gentiles. If this had not been, we would not be saved. If this had not been, then there would be no hope for us. If this had not been, there would probably there would not be an America. America was based on Christian principles and Christian values and America has been made great because we have worshipped God and we have followed God and we have followed His precepts. If we had not been a Christian nation, there's no telling what kind of a country America would be, if it was any country at all. It is only because God chose to include us, the Gentiles, in repentance and, and in this baptism that, that we are included. 
The third thing is, is that it is fitting. And Jesus comes to this situation. He says, I need to be baptized by you. This is verse 14. Or John says, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me to be baptized. In other words, John is making it crystal clear that Jesus doesn't need baptism. He doesn't need to repent. He has not sinned. He is the Messiah. He does not need to confess any sins. So why are you here? And Jesus gives the answer in one, one sentence. He says this in Matthew 3.15. Let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what is fitting? I mean, what, what is it that he, he is doing? What does fulfilling righteousness mean? Jesus saw his life as the fulfillment of all righteousness. The fact that he participated in the baptism of repentance, even though he had no sins, was to show that the righteousness that he wanted to fulfill required that we be baptized to come to faith in Christ. Jesus is doing this because he is securing righteousness for you and I. Isaiah 53 says this, By his knowledge, Isaiah 53, 11, By his knowledge shall the righteous one the righteous one, Jesus, my servant, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous. The righteous one will cause many to be counted righteous. And here's where we stumble. Theologically, this is where we stumble. Jesus died on the cross for what? For the forgiveness of our sins, right? That's true. Theologically, that's true. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price. What is the price of sins? The wages of sin is death. And who has sinned? We have all sinned and come and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. So the price to be paid for sinning was death. So Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin and everyone that has lived. He, lived, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. But then the, what does that leave us? It leaves us with our sin debt being forgiven. But then when we stand before God, if that were the end of the story, if that was all there was to it, when we stand before God, we would be sinners who had had their debt paid for, but yet we would still be like a criminal who somebody had bailed them out of jail and they didn't have to serve the jail time, but they are still criminals. There needs to be something else that needs to take place. Yes, our, our sins are forgiven on the cross so that we don't have to die in our sins and be separated from God forever but there needed to be another component that takes place with it and that is the what theologically they call the imputation of righteousness and this takes place at justification all at one time since justification is setting one right before the law the sinner must not only be pardoned for his past sins but he also must be supplied with a positive righteousness before he can have fellowship with with God. 
This has to be supplied by Christ. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness is right living. Remember Jesus said this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. So what is, what is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, doing being baptized for the repentance of sins when He does not have any sins? He's doing it for you. What Jesus is doing is He is living for us. He is facing everything that we would face. He, he goes to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because we need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He goes immediately into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and Satan tempts him. We get, we get an account of some of the, temp, the major temptations which everything that we face in life, all of the temptations fall into one of those three categories. The lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the world and um, pride of life, right? All of our temptations fall under one of those categories. He was tempted by Satan one-on-one, and he, he defeated Satan in the wilderness. Why? So that when we are tempted in life and we yield, so that when we do something we're not supposed to and we yield. Jesus paid. He lived the righteous life. So if you were tempted to do something you knew you shouldn't have done, Jesus perfectly met that temptation and, and He did the right thing. He didn't yield to sin. He lived a perfectly righteous life. So what happens and the reason that Jesus needed to be baptized was so that He could take the place of us. So yes, He went to the cross and He died and he, he paid the price for our sins, right? But the other part of that equation then that happens in justification is the imputation of righteousness to us. God takes that perfect life, that perfectly lived life, that life where He lived and He overcame every temptation, that life where He lived perfectly And God applies it to you. So now when God looks at you, when you come to faith in Christ, when God looks at you, not only are there no sins that you have to pay for because who did it on the cross? But when He looks at you, He sees a life that was lived perfectly. Every temptation was defeated. Every... Every time you were tempted to sin, you conquered it. Every time that you would have won and lost your temper. Kim? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Jesus died so that you wouldn't harm Cheyenne today, okay? It tells us. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice that. Not that we would be forgiven by God that we would become the righteousness of God. It's the righteous living of Jesus. It's the perfect living of Jesus that, that becomes ours at the time of salvation. Or 1 Corinthians 1.30 it says it is because of him that you are in Christ who has has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteous and holy and re- holiness and redemption 
So the answer to the question of why Jesus insisted on being baptized is so that these new people who were being gathered together who were not of the Jewish heritage, it would be... uh, based on repentance and faith in Him and and not on the legal law that that they were following. The Jews followed the Mosaic law and Jesus is implementing a new system here now that is based on faith in Him and the finished work of Christ, not on the Mosaic system. And righteousness comes from perfect living that only He can do. Baptism is our... It is our moment where we die with Christ in going down under the water our old self dies and when we come out of the water we are a new person we have the newness of life in Christ because what has taken place at the moment of salvation is one and these happen simultaneously it's not like one takes place and then the other uh, theologians say this happens Uh, simultaneously your sins are forgiven and you are imputed with the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at you he sees a perfect life Philippians 3 says this and I'm almost through Philippians 3 8 and 9 what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior For whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He's referring to the Jews. Even though they were trying to follow the law, no one could. But that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 and 9. The righteousness included the fulfillment of all righteous life and the righteousness that would be required for us to be able to stand before God one day. Let me, let me finish it up and say it this way. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need to go out into the wilderness and and face Satan. He could just speak Satan out of existence. He didn't need to go into the wilderness and face Satan and and defeat Satan in his attempts to try and and get him to sin and, and quit following God's perfect will. Jesus did not need all of that. Why did Jesus do all of that? He did it so he could overcome everything in life that we did not overcome. And so that he could give his perfect life to you. We, the first Adam and Eve sinned in a human body. The second Adam had to come and live perfectly in a human body. And by doing that, he could impute his righteousness to us. And, his, and the forgiveness of sins took place on the cross. And why did God do all of this? He did it for you. So when you look at this story of baptism, it's not just a story, well, Jesus did it because everybody else is doing it. Now, Jesus did it for Cammie and and Austin. And Jesus did it for Sadie and for Jennifer and and for Betty. I'll pick on... And George, you awake back there? (laughs) And one of the things we forget people of God is this when when we say Jesus died for the whole world 
It's because in our limited minds, we can't, we can't, we can't even begin to know everybody that lives in Montvale or, or Bedford County, much less everyone that has lived here throughout the entirety of time. But when Jesus did it, He knows every name of every person who ever will come to faith, who has ever lived, and everything that they would face, and all the challenges you would face, and all the diagnoses you would get, and all the struggles we would have as a nation, and all the struggles we would have economically. He knew all of that. And as he went into that water to be baptized so that he could be baptized for us, you were on his mind. One of the mistakes we make in Christianity is this. We don't make it personal enough. Let me tell you, the God of the universe joined with fallen humanity so that he could provide righteousness for, for, fallen, for all of us that have fallen. But he did it knowing every one of you. He did it for you. And if we can ever internalize the fact that this wasn't just a blank thing that Jesus did for everybody when he went to the cross. He did it for each one of us individually. If we can ever internalize that, then we can begin to really understand the love of God that he has for each one of us. He died for me. He lived a perfect life for me. I bet he obeyed every speed limit there was. I'm pretty sure he had to. Because I can't. But the most important question to be answered, why did Jesus have to be baptized when he had no sin? It was so he could do it for you. He could take his righteousness and give it to you. And that, men and women, is not a God who's trying to respond to the events that are taking place in the world. That is a God who is leading. That is a God who knows in advance what He's going to do. And He already had a plan before the foundation of the world to do this, to redeem us back, to, to take back a, a people for Himself. And we are that people. There's nothing we, that we are going to face that we have to fear. There's nothing that we're going to face that, that should worry us. Worrying about the future will we'll do not what? Not change a thing. You can worry yourself into the grave and it will not change anything that's going to happen. Now that doesn't mean we don't be concerned and maybe we adjust things so that we... Um, but worrying about things that are completely out of your control changes nothing. God is in control. That's the message this year. God is in control. Rest in Him and know that He knows you personally and that His Son died on the cross for you personally and that His righteousness, the Jesus' righteousness that, was, that He earned by living a perfect life has been imputed to you personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go from here today, help us to understand that in the midst of a world of chaos, in the midst of the challenges and the struggles that we face, that you are in control. 
We don't often know some of the challenges we're going to face. We don't, we don't know the events of the world. We don't know uh, the, the struggles that, uh, that are coming that we might have in our workplace or, or in society as we see inflation and all these things. But this is what we do know. You're in control. You've already been to our future. You already have a plan. And in the midst of whatever's taking place, you always find a way to be glorified and to, and to take care of your people. So we can rest this morning, Heavenly Father, knowing that you loved us so much. You loved us so much that Jesus died on the cross for each one of us. Not the whole world. It was for all the people. Individually. And then he lived that perfect life so that that perfect life could be imputed to us so that when we stand here and we pray as I'm praying to you now, when you look, you see a perfect, uh, a perfectly righteous man of God before you even though I am, not, I am not sinless. And I am not perfect. But because of Jesus, I am to you. And the same is true for every person that's here. Help us. Heavenly Father, to internalize that and and quit trying to let Satan defeat us because we are not perfect people and and walk in the newness of life that comes in knowing that the, the righteousness of Christ has been applied to us. We follow your word. We try to glorify you. We spread your gospel message. But when we make a mistake, it was taken care of on the cross and help us to move on and, and bring glory to you and not focus on this, the failures of the past. In Christ's name, amen. Our closing hymn today is going to be uh, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, 774. When the roll is called up yonder, yonder, will you be there? You do it through salvation through Jesus Christ. If you need to know more about that, just come and see me up front as we sing this song.